Please keep Philippians chapter 1 open as we come this evening to study, particularly verses 3 to 7, verses 3 to 7 of the chapter. And our theme this evening, and God willing, next Lord's Day evening as well, is the theme of joyful prayer. We saw this, this morning a joyful greeting from Paul, and this evening and next Lord's Day, we're going to think about this joyful prayer that he prays for the Philippians. Who or what do you expect to give you joy? Maybe you already have plans for something in 2023 and secretly you're hoping that whatever it is that you have planned will be the best experience possible, that it will be a joyful experience. Maybe the summer holidays are already booked uh, here in darkest January. It's a time when a lot of people book their summer holidays and you're already thinking about it and already looking forward to it. Um, we're, we're encouraged, aren't we, to believe in our culture that we will find joy in all kinds of things. Perhaps if we focus on ourselves and if we provide for ourselves. But that isn't working very well in a culture that is increasingly anxious and discouraged. You might be tempted to think that you'd have more joy if you had more money or more success. But some of the people who have the most money and success are sometimes the most miserable. Tom Brady, who is a 45-year-old American football player, he's, he's won the Super Bowl, uh, I think, at least five, if not six times. The greatest achievement in his sport, and he's done it multiple times, but he confessed after winning his third Super Bowl that as he put his head down to sleep that night, the thought went through his head, is this all there is? It's not just a modern problem, this lack of joy. Alexander the Great, one of the most significant and successful figures in ancient history, he's of course said to have been found weeping one day in his tent. And when asked why he was weeping, he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. A lack of joy is a chronic human condition, even for some of the most successful amongst us, and it always has been. But Philippians is a letter bursting with joy. Tony Morita and Francis Chan, who have written a recent commentary on Philippians, they describe Paul when he wrote this letter as the happiest or the most joyful man in Rome. They claim that it wasn't the all-conquering emperor or some adored athlete, but it was Paul, a, a prisoner of Rome, a prisoner when he wrote this letter, and yet his letter is filled with joy. The word for joy in the original appears more than a dozen times in this short letter. So we'll be coming back to it again and again. But as we look at Paul's prayer for the Philippians tonight, we see that in particular, his joy came from his relationship with Christ and his relationship with Christ's church. In particular, in this instance, the church in Philippi. Paul loved his saviour, of course, and he loved every single member of the Philippian church. He was their founding pastor. He was personally invested in them. And it's his relationship with these people that gave Paul such joy. He says in verse 2, I am always making my prayer with joy. This is a joyful prayer. And so we want to explore this more as we look at Paul's prayer over the next two Lord's Day evenings. Uh, and so we'll not get through the whole prayer this evening. We're going to look just at verses Three to seven. And I've just tried to pick out some of the themes of Paul's prayer this evening. And the first thing I want you to notice from this joyful prayer is that it is an all people always prayer. 
And all people always prayer. Notice the words Paul keeps repeating in verses 3 to 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And so it's very obvious very quickly what matters most to Paul and what brings him joy and what fuels his prayers, friends. It is all the people, everyone in the church in Philippi. He always prays for them. Of course, we don't know who all of these people were, but we know who some of them were. We read about some of them this morning in Acts chapter 16. There was Lydia, the first convert perhaps in Philippi, perhaps the first convert in Europe. And you remember Lydia had not only opened her heart to the Lord, but she had then opened her home to Paul and Silas and and the ministry team with them and She had provided the the first venue for Christian worship in Europe. Perhaps the first time that this letter was read aloud to the Philippian church, they were still meeting on the Lord's Day morning in Lydia's living room, squeezed onto sofas or sitting on cushions on the floor. And as Paul remembered Lydia, her open heart and her open home, it filled him with joy and he prayed And as well, there was the jailer who we read about this morning, who had gone from being a bully in a prison to washing the wounds of two of his prisoners. And as Paul remembered the jailer who had washed his wounds and who had then received the washing of baptism along with his family, he had joy as he thought about that transformation in that man's life. And he prayed for that man. Verse 1 of the letter tells us that there were now elders and deacons in Philippi. We don't know when they were appointed, whether Paul was at their ordination service or not. But as Paul thought about local Philippian men serving as elders and deacons, he's filled with joy. And he prays for those elders and deacons. And everyone else in Philippi, whoever they were, Paul prayed for them always. The word there in verse 3, remembrance, it's a word only used by Paul in the New Testament and all but once it refers to prayer, remembering someone or something in prayer. And so we say to each other, don't we, I'll remember you in prayer. Of course, we need to make sure we actually do remember the person in prayer. We don't just say that we will, but that's a biblical way of speaking insofar as we do then go on and pray for the person To say that we'll remember them, to remember a situation and to pray about them. That's what Paul was doing. And notice also, friends, Paul says that he always prayed for the Philippians. He says, in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine. Emphasizing so clearly here that he is regularly praying for these people. As he no doubt did for all the churches that he was involved with planting. This is one of the most important parts of a a pastor's job, friends, to to pray regularly for his people. Paul prayed for them by name. Insofar as he was kept up to date, he likely prayed for them by need. He prayed for them as often as he possibly could. And perhaps being under house arrest in, in Rome, he had more time to pray and was using his time to pray. Now, friends, was he praying for perfect people? 
Was he praying for people, all of whom his personality and their personality just matched up perfectly? Was he praying for people who always saw things exactly the same way? No, of course not. (coughs) The members of the church in Philippi, just like the members of any church, were not perfect people. And that becomes very clear as we get further into the letter. As uplifting as this letter is, there were... There were issues in this church that needed to be addressed. But those things, friends, do not take away from Paul's joy. And they do not stop him from praying. And for seeing the many, many reasons that he had to be thankful and joyful for this church in Philippi. And all people always prayer. And there are some obvious applications for us here, aren't there? Firstly, that we need to pray for one another in the church of Jesus Christ regularly and repeatedly. That's why in God's providence on this particular week, I finally remembered to give out uh, that membership, that, that, that little prayer diary for you to use. So that every day of the week we're praying for someone in our congregation and that we are being prayed for ourselves by someone in the congregation. And I would just encourage you if, you, if you come to a name on your prayer card someday this month, And you think, well, I don't really know what to pray for them. I I don't know what's going on with them. Make a point of speaking to them before or after a service or at another time. Get to know them. Get to find out what's going on and ask them how how you can be praying for them. This is also why your elders take a considerable amount of time at our session meetings and sometimes even devote entire meetings to prayer for primarily for this congregation. It's why we want to engage with pastoral visitation and uh, find those times to meet with you and find out how we can be praying for you. This is why we have the back page of the bulletin covered in prayer points. And you can subscribe yourselves to prayer emails from the Littles in Nantes or the Steeles of the Lockridges in Scotland, or the Burrocals in, in, in Seville and find out how you can be praying specifically for mission elsewhere. And of course, there are a multitude. Some of you will have particular ministry organizations, particular missionaries, particular people and concerns that you pray for regularly and that we try to support regularly. EMF, Asia Link, Mission Africa. And friends, in praying for them, we are, we're making joyful investments in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're engaging in supernatural help for them. We are that we are praying to God Almighty who holds the universe in his hand and yet in his sovereign perfect plans for the church and the world includes space for our prayers. Isn't that an amazing thing? And then the other obvious lesson as we think about Paul's all people always prayer is that we should be praying not criticizing. We should be praying not criticizing. There is a time and a place for constructive criticism in church life. There is even a time, if needed, for stern rebuke. But far too often, friends, our criticism isn't constructed, constructive rather. It's exaggerated. It's selfish. It's hypocritical. It's gossip. It's disgusting. Most of us have been guilty of it from time to time. Barely out of the car park perhaps and complaining. Did you hear what she said? Can you believe what he's done? Friends, we should quit complaining and start praying for one another. 
It's very hard to pray for someone who you, whom you've been criticizing. And it's very hard to criticize someone for whom you've been praying. If we lack joy as Christians, perhaps it's because we spend too much time complaining and not enough time praying for fellow believers. These people that Paul was praying for, that Paul showed such joy and delight in, they are not perfect. They are warts and all Christians like all of us. And yet he prayed for them and took such joyful delight in doing so. May we do the same. May we be people who pray all people always prayers. But then we see too that this prayer of Paul's is a thankful prayer. It's a thankful prayer. Thanksgiving infuses this prayer of Paul's. He says at the start of uh, verse 3, I thank my God. So notice that this is the first part of his prayer that he, that he shares with us. Thanksgiving. That's the main thought that carries right through. And he picks out some of the reasons in particular that he's thankful. Verse 5. He's thankful, he says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Wonderful, wonderful words from Paul there. Paul, you remember, is the last apostle sent out personally by the risen Lord Jesus. Such an important office that he carried. Such an important life that he led, planting churches, traveling around, preaching. And yet he says to these ordinary men and women in the church in Philippi, you are my partners in gospel ministry. And we sometimes, uh, I've said this before, I'll say it again, I'm thankful for the appreciation and the respect and the love and the support that is shown to preachers of the gospel in our denomination But friends, we we all have our part to play in the proclamation of the gospel. We are to be gospel partners together. The church is men and women with all kinds of gifts, with all kinds of jobs, serving the Lord Jesus Christ together. And it wasn't that once Paul left Philippi, the church in Philippi, forgot all about him. No. The Philippians had committed themselves to long-term gospel partnership with Paul. Long-term gospel partnership. How had they done that? If they are in Philippi and Paul is in prison or traveling or wherever he is. Well, the word Paul uses there for partnership, it's the Greek word uh, from which we, all, we, we often use the English translation fellowship. It's the same word, fellowship or partnership. And fellowship really has to do with commitment. It's, uh, the Greek word, there's not really one English word that fully captures it, but It really has to do with a commitment to another person or to other people. D.A. Carson says that in the culture at that time, if Harry and John bought a boat to start a fishing business together, they entered into a fellowship. They were committed to the venture together. One could not carry on in that venture without the other. They were dependent upon and responsible for one another. And from what Paul says, both in this letter and elsewhere, It seems that the main ways in which the Philippian church partnered with Paul, friends, were financial, by a financial partnership and a friendship partnership. They partnered with him through finance and friendship. We read earlier from 2 Corinthians 8, text all about sacrificial giving. Paul challenging the Corinthians to give generously to the needs of the kingdom. And in in spurring them on to do that, he tells them about the churches in Macedonia who have already been giving generously. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, 
about the, the churches in Macedonia, which included Philippi. He says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, interesting choice of word, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Paul was involved at one stage in his life in, in gathering up a gift, a financial gift from Gentile churches for the church in Jerusalem. And he says that the churches in Macedonia gave not out of their riches, but out of their poverty. They found ways to be generous, even though they themselves were not necessarily well off at the time. And so friends, the Philippian church, like other churches in the region, they were willing to give sacrificially to the financial needs of the wider church. But they also gave financially for the personal needs of Paul. He says in Philippians, <coughs> in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, if you want to look ahead to that, Philippians 4, verse 14. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you to share my trouble. He says in verse 16, Philippians 4, verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help once and again. He says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. As soon as the Philippians had heard that Paul was in prison, they sent practical financial help via Epaphroditus. We'll, we'll see more of that later in the letter. And so friends, without ever leaving Philippi, the Philippians have become gospel partners with Paul and with others by funding those who were preaching the gospel around the world. But as well as financial support, Paul had their friendship support. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Again, just notice in passing the great affection here. I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. And then notice this. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul mentions his imprisonment here. It was a very shameful thing in that culture to, be, to become a prisoner, to be, to be locked away. Of course, there's still an element of shame to it today in many ways. Guaranteed to lose you some friends and respect if you end up in prison. But the Philippians did not turn their backs upon Paul when he was put in prison. They didn't wash their hands of him and say, right, well, we're having nothing more to do with him. They stood by him. And so Paul's joy, friends, shows itself in giving thanks for his friends, his gospel partners who had not abandoned him when they needed him most, when he needed them most. And so, friends, you can be a gospel partner without ever setting foot in a pulpit, without ever going to Bible college. Look for opportunities and you can partner with others in the spread of the gospel in all kinds of ways. Over the next month or so, our church camps will be holding the reunions. Uh, some of you have served as officers or cooks in the past. Some of you still serving faithfully as officers. But even if we're not able to do that anymore, we can partner in that work of the camps by prayer, by giving generously to the denomination to have these kinds of ministries, by encouraging friends or 
children or grandchildren to go along to benefit from those camps and from all that they provide. I mentioned earlier the, the prayer letters of our missionaries. When you, when you make use of those prayer points, either signed up to the emails or read the bulletin, you're partnering with others on the front line of mission. Some of you went round the doors with copies of John's Gospel at the end of the summer. Some of you, even if you didn't do that personally, you've been praying for that gospel seed. Some of you are praying for specific people in your family or, or your community for their salvation. Still lots of extra copies of John's gospel out there in the porch for you to, to take and to, to give to some of them. That's gospel partnership. We give offerings, financial giving, not just for our own needs here in Dremore, but for the needs of the whole denomination. So that smaller congregations can keep going. So that churches can be planted. Or that uh, churches already planted can be maintained. So that new churches can be planted. So that a meeting house can be built in Nantes. This is all gospel partnership. And again some of you will have your own ministries. Your own, your own missionaries that you know about. And, and, and you support in your own ways. Friends keep looking for opportunities to be a gospel partner. Young people, there's go teams coming up in the summer, other <coughs> mission teams you can be involved in. You can spend a week partnering with another church or with another ministry. All kinds of ways, friends. You can write an encouraging email to a missionary or a church planter letting them know that you pray for them. And what does all of this lead to in our hearts? Joy. This is where you find joy. Not in binging TV or getting hundreds of likes on TikTok, or working on your appearance, but in partnering together for the sake of the gospel. That's where joy will be found. The most joyful man in Rome in 60 AD was chained up under house arrest. But he was joyful because he had gospel partners providing for his needs, praying for his well-being, and he had reason to keep on praying for them and working for the advance of Christ's kingdom. And so he was thankful. And so in this joyful prayer, we see that it was an all people always prayer. We see that it was a thankful prayer. And then thirdly and finally, we see that it was a confident prayer. A confident prayer. or A prayer prayed with assurance. Praying for each other, partnering together for the gospel. They can bring us joy, but let's face it, it's not always easy. And there's plenty of opportunity for discouragement to creep in. But here's the solid ground, friends. Here's the foundations upon which we can keep going. Here's our reason for hope. Look at verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What gives us more joy than anything else is knowing that if we're Christians... The work that God started in us, he will finish. He will bring us to that point of perfection and completion and resurrection at the day of Jesus Christ. God has started the work of making us spotless, blameless, pure. Do you realize that's what God is doing in your life, Christian? He is in the process of purifying you. 
That's perhaps one of the ways to understand the circumstances. We maybe sometimes can't fully understand some of the the circumstances or the painful difficulties that we live with. But ultimately we know that God is perfecting us and purifying us for the day of Jesus Christ. And when God starts something, he always finishes it. And that gives Paul further reason for joy as he makes these prayers. He's off in prison in Rome. He can't see Lydia. He can't see the jailer. He can't see the elders and the deacons in Philippi. But he can pray for them. Knowing that the work that God began in them through the ministry of Paul and others, he will finish. The word he uses there uh, in verse 6, I am sure of this. The word sure there is emphatic in the original language. It means he's sure now and he always will be sure. Philippi was not a perfect church. But Paul was sure that they, like every other part of the church of Jesus Christ, one day would be. What made Paul so sure? Was it because he was the one who had planted this church? He thought, well, they got off to the best possible start. They had the best possible church planter on the job. Was he confident in how well he had preached to them? Was he confident because of some of the dramatic things that had happened when he began his ministry there? No, he was confident because the church, friends, is Christ's church. It's God's work. And God will finish his work. A lot of the things human beings start, we don't finish. It's always a bit sad when you see a half-finished project. Maybe a half-finished building. Uh, There's a lot of buildings in our town centre that look as if they're half-done or half-ruined. And it's always a bit sad to see that. The big sign says under construction, but it's been hanging there far longer than anybody ever thought it should be. Our friends in Nantes are seeing their meeting house take shape. It'll be fantastic when it's finished, God willing. Imagine they just decided to leave it as it is now. (coughs) Cold, unfinished walls, dust and muck everywhere. What a depressing sight that would be. It needs to be finished. It needs to be completed. My friends, what God starts, he finishes. And that includes your sanctification and my sanctification. Sanctification, one of those big words that can sound a bit strange. Boys and girls, an easy way to remember what sanctification is. It's God making us the people we are meant to be. That's sanctification. God making us the people we are meant to be. It's God changing our hearts, renewing our minds, giving us desires for truth and holiness and him and his greatness. It's the process of making us more like Jesus by his word and by his spirit. Paul says there in verse 6 that God will bring this work to completion when? At the day of Jesus Christ. The return of Jesus Christ is a big day for the church. It's the big day for the church. The Bible compares it to a wedding day, to a great feast of celebration. It's like a bride being made ready to be presented to her husband and she removes every stain and wrinkle and she presents herself beautiful and joyful in a a dress of pure white, ready. And that will be the church on the day of Christ's return. As the Philippians dealt with division in the church, 
as the elders and deacons sought to pastor the church, as the members found ways to serve in the church, Paul says, press on with joy because the day of Jesus is coming and I am absolutely sure that God will have you ready and perfect on that day. And what Paul said of Philippi, friends, I can say of Dremore, and we can say of any congregation, that God will have us ready and perfect. We didn't become Christians by our own efforts, and we won't become healthier Christians by our own efforts. It's the work of God. And yes, of course, we need to persevere, and we need to fight temptation, and we need to grow in grace. And we'll see later in Philippians the the sort of the tension between God being the one who does this and yet we working along with him, Paul says. But friends, even the very desire to put sin to death, your desire to be reading God's word maybe five days a week this year, to read it in a year, your desire to, to, to advance your knowledge of God's truth, your desire to be that witness to your friends or neighbours, that in itself is evidence, that desire of God's spirit in us, empowering us, helping us. That's why we can be sure that we'll make it to the end. Alec Matier says salvation would be a wretchedly unsure thing if it had no other foundation than my having chosen Christ. If it was all down to me, think how insecure and worried I'd be, he says, but it's not down to me. He goes on, this assures us not only of the future outcome, but that in every experience of every day, in all things, God is putting what he calls the finishing touches on our salvation. God's putting the finishing touches on your salvation, dear friend. Remember that in whatever trials or difficulties or temptations we may face in the year ahead. Paul was assured about the Philippians' final destiny because he saw the evidence in them of God at work. They were gospel partners They were funding the gospel. They were standing with Paul uh, unashamed despite Paul's shameful circumstances. All of that, friends, is 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 evidence of God at work. What about your life? What about mine? What about our church? Is there evidence in your life of someone saved by God's grace as we thought about this morning? That you've confessed your sin to God, that your trust is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us at the cross, that increasingly you just don't find joy in the things of the world. Yes, we we enjoy the good things God has given us uh, to, to a great degree. We're thankful for our food. We're thankful for clothing. We're thankful for rest and relaxation for our homes, our work. But they're not where we look for joy. Increasingly, your joy comes from being a gospel partner, a prayer partner, In the kingdom of God. Is that true of you? If it is dear friend. Be assured. Despite those days of discouragement. Despite those moments where we think. I failed in that again. What God has started in you. He will finish. If that's not a reason for joy. What is? And so like Paul. May we pray. Always with thankfulness. Confidence and joy as we continue partnering together for the name of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Amen.